The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Thank you, worship team. And um, uh, I'll be honest, at the beginning, I was a bit like, oh, I'm glad I'm not starting out because it, <laughs> it's really awkward at the beginning because you're not sure who's there. Um, but um, and it feels a bit like deja vu now that I'm up here. But it's nice to see some faces way up at the back from the worship team. It's nice not to be the only person. But for you who are online, Merry Christmas. And to you at the back as well. If I didn't say Merry Christmas to you, uh, Merry Christmas. Um, I know things have uh, been different. I think um, with, uh, the, uh, in March 2020, when everyone you know, thought 2021 is going to be our year, I don't think they necessarily had a lockdown as the first thing. Uh, what we thought we would be doing, but here we are, and um, you know we're going to get through this, and it's not going to be the end of us. Um, actually, this uh, Christmas season, I hope you've had a, a great time. Um, I've been baking or cooking a lot. I'm sure all of us have. Actually, last night uh, I had a dream, which uh, um, always sounds like you know it's strange when someone begins saying I had a dream about something because I always find that. The person who had the dream is really interested in what the dream was, but everyone else is just like, okay. Um, but for me, I dreamt that I was preaching, but baking something at the same time. So it was very stressful. Um, I'm not a person who bakes and just feels life uh, just be nice and easy. It's very stressful to bake, so uh, that was truly uh, not enjoyable last night for my dream. But anyway, that's what I had. Also, if you have kids and you are at home, um, you know... Uh, uh, I've been joking with my wife that uh, I have my phone like with me as like a timer, so I make sure I'm like, you know, my mind has like a good idea. Um, but I always find that, um, uh, you know, if 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 I need to say, you know, just pause, kids, you need to listen to your mother. Uh, you know, feel free to text me. Joking, don't actually. <laughs> I'll probably be really distracted. But um, you know, uh, we're coming back home again uh, to to do uh, church in different places, and uh, just know that. Uh, you know, we're still all together. Even though we can't meet together, we're still Living Hope Bible Church. And don't forget, uh, don't forget to uh, just become uh, individuals, you know, in your own places. But remember that we're all here together right now. So that all said, turn in your Bibles together to the book of Haggai. Now, for those of you who might not remember, I preached in October... Um, if you didn't check it out, if you weren't able to hear it, or so you can check it out on our podcast, I'll let you have some time to turn there because it's a, a bit of a hidden book. Turn to the Gospels and then take like a left. And um, when I was here in October, I covered the first 11 verses. And so um, as uh, what we kind of talked about was the Lord speaking to his people. Now, at this time, just so that we remember the context, because the book of Haggai is not really the, the most well-known book of the Bible. So this is a post-exilic context. And so what that means is the kingdoms of Israel have been destroyed and the people been sent into exile. Okay, so there's no more kingdoms. There's no, there's, the Israelites are spread out. And the empire at this time was the Persian Empire. And God worked in the heart of King Cyrus at this time. And so uh, in our time frame that we kind of went over, uh, this, this Persian Empire is all the way from the borders of India all the way to Turkey. And God moves in the king to send 
the people of Israel back to their homeland. And so they are the, uh, they're the returning remnant of Israel coming home. And when they returned to the land, the first thing they did was they started to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And you can read this all in, in the book of Ezra. And so in the first 11 verses of Haggai, we start to see what we saw is the fact that they had stopped building. So they came back. They got on with building the temple, and the reason for building the temple, just to kind of remind us all of what we talked about, what the purposes of the temple were, the temple represented God's glory, His presence with His people, because that, is, that was God's priority. He, he didn't want his, just, his people to be alone, right? just like uh, us now. And obviously, as we look back at the, the whole Old Testament, we see the cross, we see Christ. Uh, but at this time, God's temple was God's plan for his people. And the temple represents him with them, but also their atonement for their sin. So that they could uh, w- worship correctly, rightly, have, uh, you know, they would make sacrifices so they could approach their God. However, it became very difficult to build. People were against them. They were told by the king of Persia at the time because of political intrigue to stop building. And for fear, after one year of building, they got the foundations laid and then they stopped building. But yet what we saw in the first 11 verses of Haggai, that the Lord's plan had not changed. Look at verse 7 to remind ourselves of where we were. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider what you have done. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought, you know, what, when you brought the little that you had, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. See, what had been going on is the priority of God. They had come off course. They had forgotten or they went to go live for their own, their own lives, their own focuses, their own desires. And they had left God's house, his plan, his priorities behind them. And so we asked ourselves, all the way back in October, in what way right now have we come off course? In what way right now have you come off course from God's priority in your life? Because when we prioritize God's kingdom above our own, when we are seeking to not be selfish about what, how we live, you know, we seek to give God our first. We seek out to do what he says. We seek out to give him our first day of the week, the first hour of our day, the first giving that we give. And the whole verses 1 to 11 is the Lord speaking. He's convicting his people so they may be restored. He's not convicting them to just beat them down. It's not just verses 1 to 11, done, and that's just the book of Haggai. The Lord continues to speak to them and call them so they may be restored to him because when God is glorified among his people, his people are fulfilled. And if you go your own way, if you seek fulfillment in your own life, your own way through the things of this earth, look at verse 6. Consider your ways again. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You know, people who, you know, when you seek fulfillment from the things of this world, you always end up needing more. 
And so God's heart to speak to them and call them out on the, the sin that they had done, that they had left the priority of the Lord. It was so that they may be restored because God wants you and I and his people to truly live, to live in freedom. You know, that's, that's the whole reason for Christmas. It's not just so we could give gifts. It's not just so that we could, you know, have fun traditions or eat lots of baked goods. It's so that Jesus Christ could come and it's so that his plan for our rede- redemption could begin. And so as we begin, uh, what we're going to be covering today is Haggai chapter 1 verses 12 to 14. So there's just three verses here. And these are very important because the Lord has spoken to his people. And so what we are going to read is how the people responded to the voice of the Lord. And what we're going to see this morning is the Lord blesses a a response of humble obedience to his word. The Lord blesses a humble response of obedience to his word. Because, you know, we... The, the, the reality is we, as people, struggle with receiving the Lord's words. Let's see how the people of Haggai do. So after the Lord speaks and calls them out, you know, each of you are busy with his own house. Go build my house. And then look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehazadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophets, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. See, what we have here is the people's response is one of humble obedience. Now, it's, it's kind of quick to read over that, like as if that's just, you know, like, oh yeah, like, you know, do what God says. The end, Right? The thing is, when you look throughout all of Scripture, it is, you know, there's so many people that felt that, that the Lord spoke to and they rejected. You, know, uh, we, you can begin with Cain, uh, a man who killed his own brother, even though the Lord spoke to him and said, sin is crouching at your door. You know, uh, uh, certain people were given, just like Haggai, the prophet, uh, Elijah was a prophet, and he, he, uh, he spoke before kings and instead he ran for his life. Jesus spoke, and you know, the words of Jesus are the words of God, and he spoke to the Pharisees and called them out to the fact that they had killed uh, Zechariah, that their ancestors had killed God's prophets. And you know, we know what happened to Jesus, that he, because of the Pharisees, he was nailed to the cross. And another prophet, Jeremiah, he spoke the word of the Lord to the people, and yet only few responded, even though he served for 40 years. So this response in verse 12 is almost unusual, how, how smooth it is. But the fact is the people are obeying and being humble in their hearts because of how they respond to the voice of the Lord. The first thing that we see is they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And uh, Mark has been preaching through James, and we will be re- uh, going back to James in the next few weeks Uh, But in chapter 1, we saw how James calls the people to be doers of the word. And that, you know, being doers of the word is this whole response of obedience. It's not just enough just to hear the voice of the Lord. You know, if the people here had heard the words of Haggai and just been like, yeah, you're so right. But then they just went on doing whatever they wanted. It wouldn't have said that they obeyed and the response would not have been the same. Uh, A man who, uh, James uh, calls a man who is a hearer 
which is what they, the people would have been if they hadn't obeyed. He calls, them, uh, he calls a people who are hearers of the word only like a man who looks in a mirror as he looks into the word of God and he sees the reflection of himself. And what a hearer does is they see the reflection, they see where they are at, what they must do, and then they walk away and do nothing about it. Hearers see the filth on their face and walk away. And how many times do we feel conviction? I don't know if you're like me, but it is easy to feel conviction. Like, Lord, I am guilty. I I struggle. Lord, I'm sorry. And then just go and do our own thing. Do you respond in obedience? As the Lord calls you or convicts you or commissions you to go, do you respond like the people in Haggai and get to work? You know, God called these people to go build my house. That wasn't, that wasn't just an easy thing to do. It's not just like, you know, smile more or be nice to each other uh, generally. You know, it's like there's work to be done. And they went out and obeyed the voice of the Lord. And the second thing that we see here, if you'll see at the end of verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. And this fear as their response to the word of the Lord this is not, fear is not the opposite of love. So it's not like a love and fear kind of, like it's not the opposite of that. But fear, especially when you see the fear of the Lord, this is a whole, this is a humble perspective of God and yourself. The fact is God is limitless. I am not. God is perfect. I am not. God is the one who hasn't messed up. I, I messed up. God is the one who is all-knowing, all-powerful, I'm just a man who struggles. And so when you see the fear of the Lord is they hear the word of the Lord. They hear the conviction. They're like, you know, you have been living like this. You have been doing this. And what you see from the people is that they respond with, yes, you are right, God. And there's this yielding. This is what's going on in the fear of the Lord, this acceptance. When people do not have the fear of the Lord, they stand above God's word as judgments over it. Like, I don't agree with that. What you see in the book of Haggai is these people hear the voice of the Lord. When they choose to fear the Lord, they choose to accept his word because they understand and believe the weight that is in them. And in obeying and fear, there's this real strong link that obedience leads to the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord leads to obedience and together we find the way of life itself. You know, are you a judge over God in your heart? Or do you see that you, are, you and I are just like people, right? We're all, you know, we are all equal here, but God is the one who is above all. When the Lord speaks, when you hear his word, when he speaks to you through his spirit, when the Lord uses someone to speak into your life, do you respond in humble obedience. Now, before we leave verse 12, you know, it can be easy just to read it. We're going to contrast this with another minor prophet. And in some ways, this is going to be the quickest run through of this book ever. Uh, but turn in your Bibles to the left to Jonah. Now, it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. So if that helps, Oh, whoops, Zephaniah is... Oh, no, sorry, that was Haggai. I've got mixed up now. So Jonah, probably the most well-known, well-known minor prophet. So what we're going to do is not forget 
Haggai, but what we're going to do is contrast the way that Jonah and the people of Nineveh responded to the voice of the Lord, okay? When the word of the Lord comes, how do the people and how does his prophet Jonah respond? And what we're going to do is contrast that with the way that the people in Haggai's day responded. So, and what we're going to see in Jonah is God speaks to his people through commissioning them, you know, commanding them, go forth and do this. He convicts them of their sin, finding them guilty, but also reveals and exposes their heart. All right, and what we're going to really see is how human Jonah is. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so here we have the commissioning. God says, Go convict the people of Nineveh. But what does Jonah do? Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And I know this verse has like, you know, it's kind of rep repetitive, but it's really drilling in the fact that, that Jonah's not only just saying no, but he's like, I want to I want to flee away from the Lord. You know, he, he goes to find a ship and he tries to get as far as he can. He goes into the bottom of the ship. You know, you've got this whole like fleeing from the commissioning, the commanding of God saying, go do this. How do you and I respond to God's commissioning in our lives? Do we respond like the people of Haggai? You know, go to the hills, build my house, and the people obeyed and built the house of the Lord. Or do you respond like Jonah? Be like, you know, God, I know you're calling me to go do something. I know that this person needs the gospel. I know this person needs love. I know I need to forgive this person. I know that I need to do what you are calling me to do. But instead, I'm going to say no. And I know that we don't uh, get in ships and we go as far as we can from the presence of the Lord like Jonah did physically, but yet in our hearts, when we reject God's call on our lives, we go deeper into ourselves. and We callous our heart. And that is really what we're going to see in Jonah, this uh, rejection of the word of the Lord. When you don't respond in humble obedience, you and I are the one who suffer. Because what we're going to see is Jonah's story just, just get worse and worse as his heart gets more callous to the voice of the Lord. So he goes into the ship. He seeks to run away. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So this is this crazy picture of like the prophet, you know, God's prophet who's rejecting him, and God's not done with him yet. And what you really see here is the fact that God uh, doesn't just give up on his people. And throughout this whole book, he's just working with Jonah. He's working with Jonah, even though Jonah is just, he's struggling. And whether he gives in or not, he's just like, the Lord is pursuing him. And we have this picture of the Lord hurling a great wind, which is just mind-blowing because I can't imagine hurling a wind, but the Lord commands such power, and it is all to bring Jonah back to the Lord so the ship is being threatened to break up. The, the sailors are throwing cargo over the side of the boats, and they're all afraid. They're, they're crying out to each of their own gods to try and 
you know, find salvation because they're just thinking we are going to die. And so in verses 6 to 7, 7 to 16, the captain of the ship finds Jonah asleep in the bottom of the ship. And then the, what you see is the Lord really speaks to Jonah through the sailors, through the captain. And so the captain's like, why are you asleep? Don't you know what's going to happen to us? And they all cast lots, and the lots land on Jonah. And Jonah's like, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, of, uh, the Lord God, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And he's like, I am fleeing from him. And look at verse 12 here. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. You see, as the people that he had endangered because he said that I am fleeing the Lord, they're just like, you know, it's like they were just living their lives and they, they, they brought this person who's fleeing the Lord and now their lives are in, in uh, you know, at, at, at being threatened to uh, be, they're, they're threatened to be drowned. And it's just like what you're seeing is the fact that Jonah's like, this all is happening because of my sin, my rejection of the Lord as the Lord is seeking me. He's been called out on his guilt. But notice what Jonah does. He rejects the conviction of his sin and his rejection and instead accepts death. Now I know like, I'm not ruining this, the story of Jonah. We all know the fish is there, right? You know, when you buy a book, uh, a, ba a baby Bible or a kid's Bible, the story of Jonah is always there. It's like the creation, Noah's Ark, Jonah, like it's just, that's just the way it goes. And so, um, but we've all always all read them. I've read them to my kids and there's always like that page where there's the whale and you, a uh, fish, sorry. And there's like the, the see-through stomach and there's Jonah praying. We've all seen that. And we know the fish is coming. We're not ruining anything. And if you didn't know there was a fish in this story, it's been out for 3,000 years. It's not my fault. Um, but so <laughs> uh, Jonah uh, doesn't know the fish is going to be there. And what he says is, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet, will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And what we're going to see again and again is Jonah is going to be convicted of his sin or feel the Lord pressing on his heart. And he's just like, I'd rather die than repent. It's quite like it's, it's kind of crazy, but it's also very human because a human heart that chooses to entrench themselves in their, in their unrepentance, in the rejection of the word of the Lord, when you choose to hold on to your pride rather than repent. You know, say, I'm sorry, or go where you don't want to go. Love people the way you, you, know, you, you may not want to love them. And what we see in Jonah is he'd rather die than go and follow the Lord. How do you respond when the Lord convicts your heart? Do you respond like Jonah? Would you rather hold on to your grievance? You'd rather hold on to your sin? Or would you, would you respond like the people of Haggai? Would you accept the word of the Lord? You humble yourself before him. The fear of the Lord, is that what characterizes you and your response to when you open this book, when you give your first hour of the day, whether that's, when I say the first hour of your day, I mean like the best hour, because some of us, the first hour is not the best. Um, you know, if you have kids, uh, you're a bit busy that first hour. Um, but it's just like, how do you give to the Lord? Do you give your best? You know, when you open your, this word, do you respond with the fear of the Lord, do you accept this? Or do you stand as judge over this and say, I, don't, I choose to reject this? 
Do you respond like Jonah? Or do you respond like Haggai? So, this, so we all know the story. He, he gets thrown into the water. And then look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but um, this is the part of the story that I always thought as a kid that, you know, there's, the, the, you know, there's Jonah praying away. And I always thought that Jonah, that was him repenting, like being like, Lord, I can't flee from your presence. I'm sorry, I will go. But look at chapter 2. We're not going to have time to read all of it, but you see the poetic, uh, you know, the poetic uh, lines of it all. And this is his prayer. Okay, the Lord, uh, sorry, Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. But as you read all of that, you know, he confesses that the Lord is great and the Lord has been chasing him. You know, he casts him into the seas and uh, you know, he, he says about his story, he confesses what has gone on. And then he confesses that there is no hope in vain idols. But I will, uh, you know, in verse 9, but I will voice, uh, I will, I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you when I have vowed, I will, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You don't really hear the words of repentance. Okay, the way that David, when he is faced with his sin and he repents before the Lord, Jonah still holds on. He confesses that God is Lord. But yet he still is holding on to his rejection of the word of the Lord. He's still holding on to what he actually feels inside and he will not hold off. He will not let go. Look at verse 10 though. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Okay, God is still not done with Jonah. This story keeps going. Even if Jonah is, uh, you know, he's, as what we're going to see in chapter 4, he's still not repenting in his heart. And we don't know how much time between verses 10 and chapter 3 passes. He may just be smelling like fish guts or fish vomit, uh, whatever it is, um, he, you know, on the seashore. He may be at his home cleaned up and waited a few days. Or, we don't know. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Okay, look at verse 2 of chapter 3, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah, learning from the first time, knows I can't go anywhere. I'm going to go. So he arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, before we keep going, we are going to see this, okay? You know when you tell your kids to... Uh, you know, maybe sit down or stand up or do something they don't want to do, and they're like, no, no, and you kind of fight it. Or maybe as you as a child, you know, you fight it or whatever, um, you know, and eventually you yield, but inside you're not yielding, you know. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to sit, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And really what you're going to see with Jonah is his heart still does not want to go, but yet he realizes he has no other choice, right? You know, I think the being inside a fish's belly, as horrific as that must have been, uh, you know, he learned, like, I don't have a choice. Whether I want to or not, I have to go. So he goes. Now look at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, because it took three days to get through it, and he called out to them, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, so we have him take uh, the word of the Lord, the, the fact that their destruction because of their sin is coming. Because of their evil, it has come up before the Lord, and they are going to be destroyed. And notice their response. So this is the word of the Lord coming to the Nineveh, uh, people of Nineveh. These are the Assyrian people, the enemy of the people of the Lord. And as we're going to see, uh, the, the reason why Jonah didn't want to go is because he did not like them. 
But look at their response to the word of the Lord. Look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. You know, they, they had that. They, they, they accepted the weight in those words. And these people are not, by our standards, church. You know, they're, 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 as the Israelites would have seen them, they're godless people. They're people who, you know, do wicked things. Obviously, their evil has become so much that the Lord wants to, uh, you know, destroy their city. But yet they hear the conviction And unlike Jonah, who is one of the Israelites, one of God's people, they choose to believe. They humble themselves and they fear the Lord. Look at what they do after that. We see this action because that is what obedience is. Action after hearing, doing rather than just hearing. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he, uh, and he issued a proclamation and published through, uh, through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, nor flock, taste anything. Let them, not feed, uh, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. See, this. There's fear, and there's also, you know, I, I wouldn't say obedience, because the Lord didn't say, you know, you're going to be destroyed unless you do these things. There's action there, though. They hear the word of the Lord, and they sought to do. They didn't just feel conviction, and then just go on with their lives. The word of the Lord meant something to them. And what you see is that the Lord blesses a response of humble obedience. Look at verse 10. And God saw what they did. Oh, sorry. When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What we see is the Lord blesses the response of humble obedience to his word. Do you respond to the word of the Lord like the people of Nineveh, like the people of Haggai's day, or like Jonah? Let's see where Jonah's at. Look at chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, for those of you who have just read the children's version of Jonah, that verse just like, is like, what? What's going on? I thought this is the part where he's, it's just the end. You know, everyone, everyone lives happily ever after at the end of Jonah. Well, look what he says. It reveals so much of what's going on inside of him. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I, know, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And you know, what you really have him saying here is, I hate them so much, I don't want them to experience the grace, the love of God. And it's like, this sounds so crazy, but this is the reality of what's going on inside of them. He hates them so much. He has such prejudice against these people of Nineveh. 
You know, what they, uh, he believes is justifying uh, hating them to make them, to dehumanize them so much that it's okay that we don't tell them, you know, in our version, it would be telling them the gospel, right? But in his day, he knew that if he brought the word of the Lord, because, you know, Jonah was a prophet, he's, this is not the first time he's experienced the voice of the, the, the word of the Lord. As he has just said, I knew that you would forgive them and I wanted them destroyed. Isn't that crazy? But yet what you really see in Jonah is he's actually very, very human. Because when you, for whatever reasons we feel in our hearts, when we don't want to humble ourselves to what he has to say. And so to, as the Lord is now going to expose his heart, that's what we're going to see here. After Jonah says, you know, and again, it's better for me to die. You know, he'd rather... He'd rather die than experience uh, what is happening right now. So Jonah in verses 5 goes out to the city. He goes to look. He finds a place to see the city. He wants to see it destroyed. And the Lord appoints in verse 6 a plant to grow and to give him shade. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And then when the nighttime came, God appointed a worm and it killed the plant. So that... (laughs) In the morning, when Jonah woke up, the plan was dead. Um, now, uh, you know, this is kind of like, why is this happening? What does a plant, what does a worm have to do with this? And so what we see here is Jonah sees the plant is dead, and he is mad. Okay, he is like, it is better for me to die than to live, as you see in voice, verse 8. You know, uh, what God's going to do here in verse 10 is expose the reality of what's going on inside of his heart. Look at verse 10 with me. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I pity, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left? You know, what he's really calling out is the fact that you care so much about this plant But yet you hate this, this, this city of all these people. And really what you, you, the crazy thing is the book of Jonah just sort of ends and you don't actually know how he responds. How much do we focus on pitying things such as the, you know, our versions of the plant, you know, our versions of, um, you know, our lives, what our focuses are. And yet we see thousands of people who need the gospel. We see thousands of people who don't know their right hand from their left. How do you respond when God reveals what's going on inside of your heart? Do you respond like Jonah? Or do you respond like the people in Haggai? Because as we read, you know, he said, you have so much in this life. You went about doing your own thing. You went out seeking all these different things. And, you know, they accept They follow through, and yet what we have in Jonah is just this human callousing his heart and keeps going his own way. Turn back to the book of Haggai as we finish these, these verses here. As the people responded in humble obedience, what we see is what the Lord does now. Because we see that the Lord blesses a response of humble obedience to his word. So look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, so it's the same prophet who brought this condemning conviction upon the people. He spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I 
and with you, declares the Lord. And what we see here is that the Lord is with those who humbly obey his word. When God calls you to do his work, when God calls you to repent, you are never sent alone. You are never on your own. The Lord goes with his people. And what you see here is this, uh, you know, this echoes throughout scripture that those who obey and follow the Lord, the Lord is with them. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, the Lord, as, as Jesus is giving the, the great commission, he says that, as you know, go therefore and make disciples. And Jesus says that he is with them to the ends of the age. He is with his people. You know, and as we're, we're entering this whole new lockdown and this new uh, way of life again, even though we've kind of done it before and it's not that scary as it was before and there's all these things going on, but yet we can still feel alone at times. But the fact is, not only are you, we all together in this, but we're also together with the Lord when we hold on to his word. When God calls you to do his work and to live for him, you are never sent on your own. And the second thing is that God works mightily in us. Look at verse 14. It says, The Lord declares, I am with you. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirits of all the remnants of the people. And they came and worked in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What you have here is the Lord blesses a response of humble obedience that he begins a mighty work in the lives of those who follow him. The Lord begins stirring up the people. You know, really what you have this, this, this picture is all the people, it's this picture, same with the people of Nineveh, all of these people are coming together in this obedience. All these people are coming together in the same response of, uh, before the Lord. And what we have is, you know, the people came off course together and they're returning together. And the Lord is stirring up in each and every one of them. 17 years, you know, had, had gone by. They had begun building the temple, the foundation was laid, and yet they stopped. 17 years goes, goes by, nothing changes. They're seeking after their own lives, they're going their own ways, coming up short, coming up empty. The word of the Lord comes and they respond with humble obedience and the Lord begins anew. You know, and as we're living whole Bible church and we're, uh, we're here, but yet we're not here and there's all these things going on, what would it look like when we come back together that we come with a new level of fear and obedience to God's word? What would that look like here? What would it look like in your life to live with obedience and action towards God's word? How would the Lord move mightily in you because the Lord doesn't just, you know, Jesus didn't come just die on the cross so that you and I could be saved, so that we could just live our lives on our own, in our own strength, in our own power. God saved you so he could live with you and through you and change you. God is not done with you and I yet. As long as there is breath in our lungs, the Lord's work continues and as we decide, when we hear the voice of the Lord, when he speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, through those around us, when we respond through humble obedience, the Lord blesses his people. He is with his people and he works mightily in and through them. So in closing this morning, how is the Lord speaking to you? How is the Lord calling you to respond to his word? How is the Lord calling you to go therefore? You know, I know things are different and things are, uh, you know, 
Uh, we were all separates in our own homes and all those kinds of things, but how are you going to live for the Lord? What is it that you are holding on to? What is it that you, where you don't want to go? What is it that you are holding on to? How does God want to make you more like Jesus? How does God want to change what's going on in your lives? How are you holding off? Because in Christ we find our true life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and I'm just going to pray for us. Let's just pray. Lord, as we're all in our different places, in our homes, away from each other, God, I pray that your church will get in your word and be, have intimacy with you. Lord, may you direct our paths. May you speak to your people what each one of us has to do, what each one of us may be holding on to. Lord, may you show us how much we need to change, how much we need to come before you. Lord, may you be the one who carries us through this lockdown. May you be the one who keeps us bound together in love here at this church. Lord, I pray for your blessing upon the people in their homes. And I pray that we will dive into your word and that we will have humble hearts, that we will seek to do your word, that we will seek to put our faith into action so that the people around us may know that Jesus Christ changes everything, changes everything that is within us. May we show lives that are fulfilled. May we show lives that have no fear of death. May we show lives that are full of hope. May the message of Christ, the message of Christmas, be uh, call all of us to respond in worship and fear and obedience. Lord, life is in you. May you carry your people through this time. May you be with each one of us. May you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.